Hey everyone, welcome back to Latter-day Takes. On today's episode, we mainly do a BYU football recap, but I do pose a couple questions to Chase about Halloween costumes, because I've been thinking about those a little bit more, and how I feel like people are just dressing up all the time now. Now, maybe this is just, you know, you become an adult and you recognize things that you didn't recognize when you were a kid. I don't know, but... I think it's interesting to think about nonetheless. We get a little bit curmudgeon-y there, right? Talking about how people only dress up just to show off on social media, whatever. I mean, I'm guilty of that too, so I'm not necessarily throwing stones, if you will, but I do think it's uh, an interesting topic nonetheless. And I think we're doing it more often for that reason, but that doesn't necessarily make it a bad thing. But it does um, make me wonder why there are those people that just love dressing up but i don't know just an interesting question so if you're somebody that loves dressing up and you're listening to this please let me know why be um fun to hear uh anyway from there we get into kind of BYU football and uh talk a little bit about like kind of the weird nature of being a fan in general of sports but then we really talk about kind of the current state of BYU football so if uh if you're not really that into BYU football then, uh, yeah, maybe this episode isn't exactly the one you're looking for, but regardless, if you choose to listen, I hope you enjoy it, as always. Um, I've got a couple in the hopper that I'm waiting to get out that I think will be intriguing topics, and uh, we will move forward from there. But as always, thanks for listening. Getting into November. It's a new month, everybody. I uh, hope everything's going well. Getting into the season of giving thanks. Love you all. Let's all try and be a bit, a little bit better every day. And I will catch you all later this week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. Of it, most of it. And they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, yes the, Mormons the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter day Saints. All right. Joining me back in the studio, we've got Hal L. with us today, everybody. Check out the name tag. You're in my world now, Grandma. Read the name tag, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody listening to this knew who Hal L. was right away, I'd kind of be impressed, but I'd also be a little bit disturbed. Yeah, you'd have to be kind of a freak. Um, yeah. But if you saw the costume I'm wearing, then you might. No, for sure. Is, I mean, yeah. if you've seen Happy Gilmore, like if you've seen it a handful of times. I think you'd be fine. Yeah. But ben Stiller and Happy Gilmore. Ben Stiller and Happy Great Gilmore. Character. Like, fantastic role. He's just hilarious. My fingers hurt. <laughs> now your back's going to hurt because you just pulled landscaping. You just duty. pulled landscaping. You're, read the name tag. You're in my world now, Grandma. Now go to sleep or I'll put you to sleep. <laughs> Those are actually, I'm mixing lines there. But yeah, anyway. Lots of great lines. Lots of great lines. Um, anyway, 
Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us, Hal. I wanted to talk about talk about a couple things, specifically uh, you in a costume right now. Why? Why do? I mean, adults dress up now. That's a thing. I think it's maybe always been a thing to some degree, but I feel like it's becoming more prevalent. And I got one question for you, and I'm gonna have other questions, I'm sure, off of this. But would people dress up nearly as much if social media wasn't a thing? Absolutely not. Like, I'm absolutely going to get an Instagram post out of this costume. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I mean, it's just changed the whole dynamic of everything we do. I mean, why all of a sudden in 2021 is everyone into the outdoors when I used to go hiking 10, 15 years ago and I wouldn't see anyone on those trails? And now it's like a freaking amusement park. It's because people want to post Instagrams. Is that, that, that really, I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind of crazy. Like, we get people that are more charitable now because of social media. We have people that are more into doing cool things because of social media I, I mean i'm not sitting here going that it's not I'm, obviously i've fallen victim to that i don't even like that way of putting it but i've been a perpetrator of this so to speak mm-hmm. absolutely 100 percent. i mean this podcast wouldn't even really exist if it weren't for social media granted podcasts uh succeeded social media so i don't even know if they'd exist period if social media didn't exist but anyway um unless podcasting is basically just radio so i guess not anyway i'm being very tangential here and i'm sorry but i've seen a lot of posts over the last few days and i'm just like was that worth it (laughs) well people go really all out on their costumes yeah and like if it's i can appreciate it to a level like if it's a cool costume and like they put some effort and i'm kind of of the opinion if you're gonna do a costume then you might as well like make it legit yeah the full send i kind of appreciate that too yeah but i don't know it is a little weird how much people enjoy it like there's just something about it that just yeah i mean it's clear that we are a far more infantile generation than anyone before us there's like well i was actually kind of thinking about that and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that i think every adult generation gets more and more infantile if you will yeah as as generations pass by because everybody's tr- reaching back we're always trying to reach back to remind us of our childhood right to be to feel that nostalgia and i think this is just one version of that is that more and more adults are dressing up for this reason i'm not saying that if you're going to be a real adult you can't dress up i just think there's a i just have a lot of questions basically <laughs> and i to, to go back to this real quick like no joke i saw a post by some some females that I knew, and I'm just like, did you, you really went through all that effort just for this post? Yeah. Like this post, this is what it's for. Yeah. Because something tells me you don't, you didn't want to be in public looking like that at least for too long, because there's a lot of discomfort associated with that. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I was kind of, it was kind of mind blowing in some regards when you just put it into perspective for a second. And then along those lines, why, like. I understand the the desire to dress up to some degree, kind of fitting in and like, yeah, like if you're going to dress up, do it right. Don't pull a gym on the office. That's pretty lame. That's the lamest thing Jim did because uh-huh. he was obviously trying to just be too cool or whatever. But either don't dress up at all or really dress up. Um, but why do some adults love dressing up? Those are the types that I'm like, I'm not totally sure we'll ever be really good friends if you absolutely love dressing up. Yeah, well, it's the same adults who love watching Disney movies and going to Disneyland as adults. It's, it's kind of the same idea. Just kind of embracing like their inner child. But and not, not, I mean, I think we could all use a level of that. I think kind of the, the path of life is you're a kid and then you grow up. And then you have kids and then you, it kind of reminds you what it's like to be a kid and you kind of 
live your childhood again vicariously through your own kids. But I think there should be some period in between those two where you're acting like an adult and not just being a kid. And I don't know if that's still happening in today's world. Yeah, certainly not as much, but I, I don't know. I just... I, I don't I, are those things tied together the people that like love going to Disneyland and all that stuff or the ones that love dressing I don't know maybe but like people like if you dress up more than like twice for a Halloween season that seems like no I mean it was, you had to pull my teeth to get me to go to this Halloween party with you to, just to wear a costume I'm like okay I gotta find a costume and I yeah, but I didn't say you needed to dress up. Well, either. yeah, but I'm not going to... Like, being the one guy at a party who's not dressed up is, like, the biggest costume you can wear. You stand out more than anyone there. There's something to that, but I don't think you'd be the only one. Maybe That's not. why. But anyway, um, just weird. Like, it's just kind of a reminder of all that. Like, Halloween's kind of a weird freaking holiday. It is. Like, it's... I mean, this is just the product of too much prosperity, and we've just... As, as a generation, we've had it so easy. I mean... It, our parents' generation had it pretty easy, but in the ones before that, they went through the Great Depression and World War Two and everything. The ones before that were World War One, and like before that, everyone was just poor as crap. <laughs> and so, like this is like this is the product of like successive generations of prosperity. And yeah, we're all weak little kids, basically, is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I I don't want to be like Mr. Fun Spoiler. I'm okay with having some fun, but when you look at the big picture, it is kind of. Like, you wouldn't picture our grandparents going to Halloween parties and posting Instagrams. It just wouldn't be a thing, even if they had it back then. Yeah. Uh, anyway, maybe our version of dressing up is watching BYU football week yeah. in and week out. And it's like, that's our, like, our we're being kids fan- again. It's a little fantasy. I mean, it really kind of yeah. is, right? Yeah. Like, it's us being kids again. And I've freaking started a podcast based on this whole idea, essentially. And here yeah. I am just living out my childhood again. Well, yeah, watching, watching a football game and, like, having emotions tied to the outcome of that game, it's basically, like, living your life vicariously through some insignificant, meaningless competition because it's fun to attach your ego to to some entity and, and watch them, you know, succeed and fail. And, you know, if somehow you trick yourself that you have something to do with their success. And, and it's fun. I don't I, – I'm not hating on it, but it is when you think about it, like, philosophically, it's kind of pathetic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say it that way. Like, it's fun to attach your ego to the success of it. And it's like, yeah, I guess we kind of do, right? That's what fans do. But at the same time, it's not really that fun. It's anxiety-ridden. Mm-hmm. It's anxiety-inducing. I don't really get anxiety a whole lot, but sometimes I feel it a little bit with BYU sports. I'm like, how? why am I giving them this power? This is insane. Well, especially because we find a way to disappoint ourselves every year. It'd be one thing if there was like, hey, BYU's won the national title a few times during our lifetime, but that hasn't happened. And yet we keep coming back, keep believing. But I would argue that it's, and I've made this argument before, I think it is more fun to be a fan of like a bad team than it is to be a fan of like Alabama. Like I, I had a buddy I trained with in residency who was an Alabama fan. And I always asked him, like, is this even fun for you anymore? I mean, your team just wins the national title every year. Like, what, what is it? Where is there to go from here? It can't even be exciting. It has to be boring. Now, granted, I wouldn't want to be a Kansas football fan. But, like, being a BYU fan is kind of right in that zone where there's always room to improve. There's always kind of this, like, carried on a stick that we're reaching for. And it's, like, theoretically possible. We know historically BYU won a national title. So we're like right in that zone where I think it's actually the most fun to be a, a fan of a team like BYU, who's kind of an outsider looking in, kind of one of the little guys trying to punch upwards. And there's something about that that's more appealing to me. I don't know. No, I get that. The volatility, I guess, that makes things more dramatic to some degree, right? 
Um, yeah, that's worth thinking about. But along those lines, let's get into this because we I wanted to make this primarily BYU football catch up, like just talking about, which obviously we do this plenty, but uh, I went to the game and it was one of the craziest games I've witnessed, quite frankly. Like I just would have never, there were tons of things you could have told me that like if this happened, I'd be like, oh, this, this isn't good or this is too good, you know, like mm-hmm. could have gone either way. Like BYU getting 35 points scored on them in a single quarter and I've been like, yeah, okay, I'm not even going to go to that game. I don't even know if I want to watch that game. And then you could have told me BYU goes up 21-0, and I'd be like, oh, well, we got this in the bag. Like, it just, it was so nuts in that regard. Um, shout out to uh, my nephew, by the way, Jimmy, Jimmy Anderson, avid listener of the podcast. Uh, took me to the game. Uh, thanks for the ticket, Jimmy. He won, he won tickets from another podcast. That's pretty legit. Yeah, so we I've always and, wanted to win something like that. That's yeah, shout cool. out to Jake Hatch actually, who runs on the Locked On Cougars yeah. podcast, who I actually know um, personally. He hooked my nephew up, and very cool. I'm, yeah, so anyway, pretty a uh, pretty nice little full circle experience there, but uh, really fun time. I, it was kind of fun, like remembering what it was like being fourteen, cheering for BYU. I mean, Jimmy's on cloud nine; like he was he was loving the game. He was having a blast. I was too. Like at one point I turned to him and I was like, you you brought me to like one of the best games this season. That was when we were up 21-0. <laughs> and then it gets to halftime and we're losing. And I'm just like, what is going on? Like 45-42. And you're just like, this is insanity. But um, it's kind of funny because I was thinking if you would have told 14-year-old me that I would have been like this jaded BYU sports fan by the time I'm 34, I'd been like, what happened to you? <laughs> like yeah. I would have been disappointed in myself, I think. But I'm actually quite comfortable where I'm at because, like I said, it just helps keep me, uh, me emotionally stable. As pathetic <laughs> as that sounds. See, I think you have a better, um, you have a better like check and balance on yourself to like avoid the highs and lows of being a BYU fan. I, I kind of let it loose every year. I'm definitely, oh, I'm, not, a, I'm aware. I, I'm, not, I'm not as bad now as I was with like when I was 14. Like I, I remember, I would when I was just old enough to drive. My sister had student tickets and i would use one of her student tickets and drive down by myself and park on the big grass field every week and come and meet up with her and i would get i wouldn't be able to control my impulse in those games and i, I would be dropping all kinds of bombs screaming <laughs> at the top of my lungs in lavella road stadium and there was one time it was the tcu game 2005 and i um i was at that game yeah that was, was that was like the 52 52 crazy game, game right? yeah, I think, yeah. yeah byu had broken out to this huge lead tcu comes back it forces overtime and then in overtime, BYU scores first, but then they botch the extra point. They botch the snap. And uh, so then we're only up six. And then TCU goes on to – they're about to score. And then they, there was a fumble at There's the goal fumble. line. I remember that but play. But they called it a touchdown. And There's they, actually a picture of the guy with yeah. the ball out of the guy's hands before he crossed the end oh, yeah, zone. No, it, should, it should have been overturned. It should have been BYU's win. Well, they didn't do that then. Replay wasn't I mean, a Yeah, maybe then. that's what Not it was. Not five, yeah. yeah. So and anyway, so, it live. so TCU wins 51-50. to 50. I have never been so uncontrollably angry in my entire life, I don't think. So I went down to like the very, I was pretty close to the to the railing in the end zone. And I went down there and the refs were going into the tunnel and I said all kinds of unspeakable things to them. <laughs> and the crazy thing is I was listening to the post-game show on Rebel and, um, and some lady called in and she was going off about this, just this terrible behavior she witnessed from a fan <laughs> yelling at the refs. I'm like, that has to be me. 
Do you really like, think it was it, you? It had to have been. I mean, it, it described <laughs> me to a T. I'm like, that That was me. She's described... I a 16-year-old boy? <laughs> she didn't say as much as... But I, you know, that part, I'm... Maybe there were other fans at LaVillador Stadium that were doing it too. But I mean, if you're... See, here's the thing. If it was you, and it very well could have been, and I would actually love to think that it was you that she was calling in about, she's ridiculous for calling in i mean you, when you see a high school boy going after the refs you're like eh, whatever he'll get out yeah. of, he'll he'll grow out of this hopefully but to like call to complain that to greg rebel like what the freak is rebel gonna do yeah well i think byu fans have this weird obsession with policing their own fans where it's like oh you're gonna give a bad image to byu in the church it's like calm down like every fan base is gonna have people that, re, that um, represent them poorly like, calm down. We don't need to, like, all walk around with our missionary name tags on. Like, Well, it's, it's okay. on the flip side, though, they they very, they value, like, the hospitable fans that they come across. Like, Nebraska apparently has, like, the best fans in the world, or Notre Dame has some great fans, too. Yeah. And it's, I, I feel like there's a sense of competition there, and that's where they're like, well, we should be known as the one, because we, we're part of the church and the true church and all that, so we should be the ones in, that are the most Christ-like. And it's like they want to outdo all the other fans that actually have that reputation organically. Yeah, and it's, it's sort of prideful. I don't know. It's kind of a weird, like, obsessed with the image thing. I don't know. I don't get that excited about it. Like, With that said, though, I'm okay with that to some degree because I think some of our fans are absolute bitches. Like, seriously. <laughs> like, the ones that, like, and, and some of this is personal, sort of uh because we're my family is close personal friends with daniel bobbick and his family yeah. and the whole talk that uh elder holland gave that was check your religion at the door was a talk about daniel bobbick when he transferred after he transferred to oklahoma state and he came back to utah and played against byu in the i, I don't know if it was delta center then or whatever but where the jazz play maybe it was energy solutions i can't remember but um and a bunch of BYU fans in front of his family were like, oh, couldn't handle the honor code, huh? That's why he had to transfer. And it's like he had legitimate reasons to transfer mm-hmm. and ended up working out really well for him. He started on Oklahoma State two years in a row, junior, senior year. They made it to the Final Four his junior year. He wow. was D- Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Like, the guy was fantastic. Um, BYU hardly played him his first two years. And he was just like, I'm sick of this. So he left. Um, also, Steve Cleveland, right? Yeah, it was under Cleveland. Um, but Rose didn't like him. Like, specifically, Dave Rose did not like him. Hmm. Um, so that was an interesting dynamic. But Elder Perry had come into the locker room after the game and actually, like, gave him a hug and was just like, hey, I'm sorry. Like, this is this is ugly. Like, sorry you had to experience this and that your family had to witness it and everything. Like, it was really bad. And so in some cases, it's like, yeah, there are reminders that are necessary, especially for BYU fans, because you know what? If they're not going to hold themselves to a higher standard, I think some of us should. So maybe it's a weird obsession to some degree, but to another degree, I do think it's merited. It's maybe more merited for BYU than it would be any other school. Just because you're not just representing the school, there's a element of representing the church. I think that part of it fans to go a little too far with like BYU is the Lord's university. Like I think we go a little too far with that sometimes as a fan base, but yeah, may, I mean, maybe, but who's to say at the end yeah, of the day, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say, like, I mean, if it comes down to having to sacrifice, like, some some actual values and principles as a university, I would rather not have sports. So, to me, that says the bigger picture is to be a specific type of person and type of organization as opposed to just being good at sports and normal fans. Yeah, you're probably right to a degree. I, uh... 
I, I think that... I do think there needs to be some leeway for just, like, letting fans be fans. I agree. And I, I also think that BYU needs to calm down with, like, putting itself on an even a higher standard of just the general rules of the church. Like, just with the honor code and stuff. Like, the honor code should just basically be abide by the principles of the gospel and not have all these weird specific little rules that, like, prevent people from preventing them from breaking the commandments. It's like... The commandments should just be the honor code. Let's call it that. And mm-hmm. stop having like, oh, they can't be in the room or can't be there past 12 o'clock. Like, it's kind of getting a little excessive there and treating them like children to a degree. Yeah, could be. Like, I know, I know it's be. like taking a whole other topic there, but. Well, that was quite the tangent, and I do blame myself. So um, let's actually get back to the, the meat of this podcast, which is. BYU football as it stands right now. So there are a few things I want to talk about. Uh, I'm not sure where I want to start. Man, no, I do know where I want to start. Oldroid sucks. Do we start there or no? Is that oh, all yeah, we can talk, oh, I, I would love to talk about Oldroid. I actually don't have much more to say, I'll be honest. Yeah, I know. I, I, I watched it with my parents this game, and uh, I gave Oldroid a good uh, tongue lashing after he missed that. And uh, I, What I did actually, Oldroid say to that? He wasn't happy about it. Um, <laughs> but So I actually tweeted out after that. I'm like, who had the worst career meltdown? Jake Oldroyd or... Oh, I saw this. This was a ridiculous tweet. Well, no. But who had the worst career meltdown? Jake Oldroyd or Tanner Mangum? There's no question it was Tanner Mangum. The expectations for Tanner Mangum were way higher than they were ever for Oldroyd. Well, Plus, just the comparing a quarterback to a kicker alone is ridiculous. Well, yeah, no, I, I agree with that, that. The comparison of a quarterback and a kicker is ridiculous. But Oldroyd, mind you... He was supposed to be like the. We felt like he got snubbed from the Lou Groza Award last year, and it was basically supposed to be a shoe in that he was going to make an NFL squad after this season. And now he's just completely melting down, missing thirty yard field goals, like in two consecutive games. Now, he's just not the guy he was. He's just a head case, and he can't handle. Like a kicker, your job is to have a short memory, and when you screw up, you go right back, and it's like it never happened. And Oldroyd can't do that. He rides entirely on his momentum. And when it's not there, he's worthless. No, he is. He is a head case. I actually totally agree with that. Um, I. So anyway, yeah, I don't really have much more to say about that. But I do want like this is where I really want to start is is Tuiaki Elisa Ilsa. I don't know how you say Elisa, his first name. Elisa mm-hmm. is Elisa Tuiaki. Is he a good defensive coordinator? Like honestly, I'm not really asking that question because I think. At best, he's okay, but he might be bad. But my brother ultimately deserves some credit here. He texted me and my other brother last night and said, you know, Tuiaki sucks as a D coordinator, but at least he's not as bad as Nick Howell. <laughs> <laughs> well, the score speaks for the, to that, I think. All right. Uh, I will say that he's a, I think he's not as bad as we like to make him out to be, but he's a, he runs a frustrating scheme to watch as a fan. As a fan, it is extremely frustrating to watch teams just go down the field and burn up clock. And th- this game really wasn't like that, actually. This game, it was more Virginia had all these quick scores. Um, but typically, the frustrating part of watching Tuiaki is watching a team eat up half of a quarter of football and then punch it in on you. And it's like your offense is just fighting a losing battle at that point because they don't even have any possessions. Which is what happened in the Boise State game. Yeah, it yeah. is. And that's what happened in the Coastal Carolina game as well last year. Um, but... I'm sorry, it's hard to excuse 49 points. Virginia's a great offense. I would expect to give up, like a good defense to give up 30 points to Virginia, but 49 is just way too many. And granted, they did come back in the second half and they made some good adjustments. So that's but... that's what I wanted to talk about, yeah. is that like 
I, I would never say that this alone makes Tuiaki a good or much less great defensive coordinator, but the fact that he gave up 42 in the first half is awful. 35 in one quarter is like, that's insane. But they, they clearly made the right adjustments going into that second half where Virginia only scored once. Now, granted, some of that were turnovers, but you also have to give some credit to the defense for those turnovers as well, right? Yeah. But putting his guys in the right place at the right time. And then there was the whole there was the quote by Satake, which by the way, I think a head coach can use a calm down when he says he does like when he's calling out like fans for saying and now granted Satake wasn't that direct, but he was saying like, well, the people need to go easier on him or whatever he said, um, because it was his idea to drop eight. And it's like, yeah, you know what? That was a scheme that worked, and I think credit where credit is due, and my whole point being that they he only allowed a touchdown in the second half. That's a fantastic adjustment. That's not something we were really used to seeing with Bronco on both sides of the ball. So Yeah, Bronco died on his heels. Yeah, he really did. Yeah. It was problematic, um, which was all the more evident last night, <laughs> just this time on the other side of the field, which is fortunate. But I, Tuiaki does deserve credit there. I'm not, like, I'm not quick to not – like I feel like criticism is still merited, but – he, they adjusted, and they only got one touchdown in the second half, which is – I didn't see that coming. Yeah, well, he, Tuiaki should just be grateful that our offense played arguably the best offensive game that any team in football has played this year. Because I saw a stat the other day that BYU is the only team in all of football, in all of college football, that has put up 700 yards of offense on a P5 team this entire year. That's pretty crazy when you think of all the Alabamas playing – you know, Winnie the Pooh State and uh, all the other crappy teams they play, none of them were able to put up 700. Seven... Uh, they could have if they wanted to. Those well, games yeah. were over in the first yeah, half. Yeah, and, and I guess we're talking about against P5 teams. So that yeah. wouldn't count. No, but, like, yeah, those but, still, count. but still, I mean, that's impressive. That is very No, impressive. you're right. That is. And in fact, let's yeah. actually talk about this for a second because it's easy to get distracted for whatever reason. I mean, I am a jaded BYU sports fan, right, for, for better or for worse, probably mostly for worse. But the – when you really break down this team's season, and if you were to tell me th- th- everything about this season, seven and two, and who we beat and our record against P5s, the Pac-12, all that stuff, if you would have told me this six months ago, I'd have been like, "Oh my gosh! Like seriously? Like yeah. this is this team's awesome!" And coming off the 2020 season, I would have been like, "That kind of legitimizes that 2020 year to some degree." Oh, for sure. And you could argue that this season is far more satisfying than 2020. Oh, 100%. I mean, 2020 wasn't that fun as a fan. I mean, yeah, it was fun to watch so ourselves. So inflated. Yeah, we, we got to watch ourselves climb in the rankings, and everyone talked about, oh, should BYU be considered for this and that? But it wasn't fun to watch us beat up on Troy and mm-hmm. Louisiana Tech. We're actually playing real teams this year and beating them. I mean, this is probably – I mean, we'll see how it finishes out. we got to beat USC. But if it finishes out the way we expect it to, this would be the best season we've had since 1996, and I don't think there's any argument for that. Yeah, very, very well could be the case. I just can't believe we put we we beat an ACC contender, a six and two ACC school. Our running back put up what did he end up with? Two hundred sixty-eight, two sixty-eight, two sixty-six, or against. Like now, granted, their defense is garbage. They're in like the one hundreds for total defense, but. I just, I mean, that's just crazy, man. Like, putting this all into perspective, and you're just kind of like, this actually is a special BYU team regardless, right? Very talented. Very talented. Talent across the board, at least on offense. No question we're going to be 9-2 and two by the time or by the time we get to USC. We could very well be 10-2. and two. We could easily, I mean, not easily, but, like, it's, I don't know who's favorite at this point for the USC game. It'll be interesting to see. It'd be interesting to see ESPN's matchup predictor. 
Um, that doesn't tend to mean a whole lot, but I'd yeah. still be curious to know what that said. I think that one said Virginia had a slight edge on us last night, and uh, we ended up winning. Who was favored? Do you know? BYU's favored by 2.5. Do you know who was, what the over-under was? It definitely wasn't 100 and whatever points. <laughs> 115? <laughs> I mean, I did expect I think, a shootout. I think, yeah, everyone kind of did. I I, I bet you we beat the over in the first half. The halftime, it was, it, oh, we were sure. at 87. Yeah. Right? I bet it was right around there, actually. It would have been less. No, it's very uncommon for any game to have an over of more than 70-something. It's very, very You uncommon. would know a lot more than, yeah, that I, than I, I, I did. I used to do a lot of sports betting um, last year. And, yeah, you, you almost never see games with overs more than, like, 70 points. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's talk about Tyler Algier, though, for a second. That's yeah. that's the that's the one thing that I'm, like, super excited about because he's got, what, 1,160-some yards this season in nine games, and he has three more games to play, and two of them against Total Cupcakes. He's, he's going to end the season very likely, you know, knock on wood, hopefully, like, barring no any, like, bad injuries or whatever. I mean, he's he's going to get at least 500 more yards yeah. in the next three games, right? Don't you think there's, like, the, he, it's like he could. very, very much possible? Unless unless we totally blow up the next two opponents. Who who are they again? Uh, uh, we got uh, Georgia Southern and Idaho, Idaho State first and then Georgia Southern. Idaho State and then Georgia Southern. So he could put 300 yards against Idaho State alone if he wanted to, but it just depends on how that game goes. Maybe it'll only be 150 yeah. each. Um, so if he goes 300 into the USC game and then gets 100 against USC, which is very possible, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's that right there is enough to give him 1560-ish, right? Yeah. Now this is my next point: is I don't see how he like if he keeps going on the pace that he that he is, he could very easily be a Heisman finalist, and I'm not sure why he wouldn't be at that point. Well, unfortunately, the Heisman's become just an award for the best player at Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, or Oklahoma. I'm not making the case that yeah. he should win the Heisman. In fact, I don't think he will, and I don't think he should. I actually think there's more talent out there than him. Well, he won't even win the Duke Walker. That Texas running back's pretty much, he's made so many headlines this year and had so many highlight reel runs, he'll get it. It's that B. John Robinson. Uh, what's a, what are his stats? I don't. His stats aren't as good as Algiers, but he'll. I almost guarantee he'll get the, the Duke Walker. See now that's that's what's crazy to me is that like I, I want to see Algier be a finalist. That's what I want to see because I would love BYU to have two finalists in a row like that. Because then you're kind of talking we might be in the glory days of BYU again uh-huh. when BYU has a very real possibility of finishing in the top fifteen again two years in a row. Crazy. Like th- these are the glory days of BYU football, and it, we're only going to get better because the seniors on our team right now, like there's only like what three of them or something like that. Like it's insane. Yeah, the loss of Algier will be a big blow. Cause it will be because we're not sure who's going to replace him at running back actually at this point. Um, and I think you might be right. You made the point last night that he sh- like we might need to look into running back, like a transfer or something, because we really don't tend to uh-huh. have somebody on staff or sorry on the on the team right now on the roster that could. Yeah help us out there so I, was, I was looking up the single season rushing record it's 1582 by luke staley so that's definitely in reach for oh he's gonna break it most likely like in the bowl game no help dude he's at 1160 right now he could break it so in the got, next two so games so he's got three games left if he had a, I mean so he needs 400 more yards base or he could do what he did he last night yards, against yeah. the next two opponents okay maybe, i don't know about georgia southern i don't know how good they are but I, he could do it against idaho state he could do what he did last night against idaho state he won't yeah but I would say 150, like for sure, at least against Idaho State, 
And I, I mean, so in Luke Staley's, Luke Staley did it in thirteen games. I think BYU. That's true. He got injured against Mississippi State, and he missed the Hawaii game and the bowl game. So, but, so, he, so he did it in twelve games. He had twelve. Yeah, games. he did it. In, no, 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 because because we had thirteen games that year. We went twelve you're and two right, on the year. You're right. So, yeah, we so, almost tied our record in '96. So for him to for it to be games. for it to be totally legitimate, he would need to do it during the USC game to to, to breed the record. Yeah, not the bowl game. And not, well, no, and nobody counts the bowl game really anyway because that's it does post count Heisman toward, voting and stuff yeah, like that. But it, I'm just saying for stats wise, they still count it towards stats technically. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my my overall point is that Algier deserves to be in at least the Heisman ranking discussion and that's all i want i don't think he should win i'm not talking about he should win the heisman but it's like i just love the prestige behind that and i think it helps recruiting and i i think it legitimizes us as a program even a little bit more and then here's another thing i want to talk about we're talking what's crazy to me is that we're now talking that he might be one of the best running backs at byu all time and when you look at the last three great running backs that we've had you got obviously jamal williams You've got Harvey Unga and Luke Staley. Like, those were all record breakers, sequentially. And you had Curtis Brown in there, too. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Curtis Brown. And, and Curtis yeah. Brown was the other record breaker, right? Yeah, he broke, he broke Staley. He broke. I don't know if Staley ever had a career record. Because Staley only had one real year of production. So I don't think Luke Staley ever owned the record. But Curtis Brown. Oh, you might be right. Curtis Brown broke it. Unga broke um, Curtis Brown. Brown and then, and and then, then Williams Jamal. broke Unga's. Right. And what I love is that Unga's Algiers coach, so he's obviously doing something right. In fact, I thought Unga was a bad hire. I'll eat, I'll eat crow. Clearly, Unga's doing something right. Yeah. And our offensive line deserves a lot of credit, too. I think they're doing great for Algiers as well. But anyway, Staley, Brown, I'm going to throw Staley in there because he is considered one of the best all-time. Those those four are in the top seven all-time yeah. probably, right? Sure. I hope this isn't recency bias, but that's what that seems right to me. Um, Algier might be better than all four of them, and he's – all four of those guys were recruited as running backs, given scholarships as running backs, and became, like I said, arbitrarily top seven all time at BYU. However, that shakes out, and three of three of the four owned the rushing record at one time or another. Algier was a walk on as a linebacker and switched over to running back, and is maybe better than all of them at, for BYU standards. Now, I'm not talking about like career longevity, mm-hmm. like in the NFL and stuff like that, because obviously Jamal like owns that and probably will. I don't think Algier will come to that re- level. But anyway, that's besides the point. That's an incredible story. It is, and I mean this. This is definitely, regardless of how you would rank them at the end of Tyler's career, which is almost certainly going to end this year. This is the best. This is the most impressive season by a running back in BYU history. Assuming that he doesn't like have it cut short right now, but like the schedule he's done it against. I mean, putting up Luke Staley. That's numbers, the other thing. He's got the hardest schedule of all five. By far, by far, by yeah. far, right? Yeah. And I it, think I think Jamal might doesn't give him a run for his money necessarily, but Jamal had some tough opponents. He played as well. some tough teams, but like he's putting up Luke Staley numbers against far better competition than Luke Staley ever played. Oh yeah, yeah. no question. Yeah. So that's the yeah. most impressive. And Unga, too, I think. Mm-hmm. I think Unga as well. Because the Mountain West, I mean, Mountain West was okay. I don't know. They weren't great, though. But the other thing I wanted to talk about, too, was uh, the other problem. So, like, I mean, just throwing out some Heisman stuff. I was looking some things up. And, you know, there's only three running backs that have won the Heisman this century. Oh, wow. So that's interesting, right? So one of them, I think, was Maurice Claret. Nope. No? He never won it. Oh, okay. I thought he won it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I, you got to have a couple Alabama running backs in there. 
Yeah, yeah. in fact, two of the three. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you know they are? I, I wouldn't be able to tell you. You have... Well, one of them was vacated, but it's Reggie Bush. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mark Ingram, Derrick Henry. Okay. So, yeah, two so Alabama guys. Two of the three are Alabama guys. Um, and... What's funny is that Mark Ingram's numbers, like Tyler Algiers, are like right there with his. Now, granted, I'll, uh, if I look, if I saw it right, Ingram had like maybe nineteen hundred all-purpose yards. I don't know where Algiers at, mm-hmm. but in terms of rushing, like Ingram was around sixteen hundred. Algiers could could be right around there. Derrick Henry was like he was a freaking that guy was nuts. He was like close to two thousand rushing alone, and I think more all purpose even. But yeah. but along um, these lines, like I feel like the Heisman Award has kind of lost its appeal to the broader public because I just think it's become such a narrow minded uh, award that's just given like you. There's this qualifier you have to be on like a top five team to even be considered for the Heisman now, which is bullcrap. It should go to the best player, and who cares if he's on Alabama or if he's on. Cincinnati or like it should be it should go to whoever you feel like is the best or if he has a fake dead girlfriend (laughs) yeah that's uh that story's hilarious anyway um all right let's wrap it up here I uh did you hear about Jonathan Tavernari's latest business idea (laughs) you told me about it I think it's hilarious uh so he tweeted this out last night I saw this during the game and I couldn't help myself business idea start a company that provides loans in quotes to BYU student athletes that don't have a scholarship, make their minimum payment ridiculously low, set perks in quotes as well, based on their grades as soon as they graduate, graduate, set the loan as quote debt forgiven. So I quote tweeted this and said asterisk charity idea. <laughs> That's not a business for one, JT for three. Uh, did he ever? Did you get a response out of him? No, or? I didn't. I think he's sick of me. And that's fine. I'm just not like what are the what in the world is he talking about? What is he talking about? Like, but giving money to student athletes and that's that's it. Yeah, I, I don't know how that's a business idea. If there's no, no money to be made, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. who wants to give away free money? Yeah, I mean maybe he should do it as you pointed out. And then the other thing is he like I'm thinking maybe he hasn't been on the radio in a while and he's hoping that like Criddle picks this up and is like yeah I got to talk to my guy Tavernari because he has a great business idea. That he wants to share with everybody. Is that what it is? Has it just not been in the limelight? Is it is it too long since then? Yeah, well, it kind of... Re- the, the tweet, the Tavernari tweet that caught my eye yesterday was... He was complaining that, you know, BYU didn't have all this cool stuff when he was around. And, like, he feels like he got gypped because BYU didn't have all these cool uniforms and, like, video productions when he was there. It's like, well, the program got better. Like... Like it's it's better now than it was when you were there. Like standing on the shoulders of giants, Tavernari. <laughs> Let's stroke his ego for a little bit, and then he'd be fine. But I couldn't help but point that out. That guy, I just don't understand him. I really just yeah, don't understand. He's not, him. he's not my favorite. <laughs> no, I was actually I had one locked and loaded though. If he came back at me again, because I'm sure he remembers my name at least. Guy uh, with the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, by the way, he was he was trying to flex on me that he had like 1,200 Twitter followers or something. I don't know, that, awesome. which was amazing. But if he was going to come back at me, I was going to say uh, it was going to be something along the lines of uh, Jonathan Tavernari used to be my favorite post-Arugio Brazilian basketball player at BYU. <laughs> And now, legitimately, he's just my favorite person in the world. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Something along those lines. That one's still locked and loaded. That's going to be in the hopper, just in case we ever cross paths again. Oh, yeah, that'll be another time. 
Gotta love JT for three. Chase, you have anything else you want to do to finish this out here or anything to talk about or shout outs? No, just uh, you can trouble me for a warm glass to shut the hell up. What a way to go out, man. Love it. Happy Halloween to everybody. Now it's not Halloween anymore. Happy Thanksgiving coming up. We'll see you all later this week. Oh, love, I remember falling so madly. There must have been magic in the valley and a rhythm in the night. Cause I could almost see it. Did you fade right out of you? If it takes time.